podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger Podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Hello Cricket Badgers everywhere, welcome along to another edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. Hope you're well, hope you're safe and hope you're looking after each other out there. I hope you're enjoying the latest editions of the Cricket Badger Podcast. That's some really good feedback. Thank you very, very much for that. I hope it's keeping you entertained a little bit as we go through the COVID-19 crisis. Thank you to tvsportsblog.com for their support of the Cricket Badger Podcast. Give them a follow on Twitter as well, at tvsportsblog. Some terrific sporting content that they provide too. And on this edition of the Cricket Badger podcast, we've got one of England's rising talents. Phil Salt, the Sussex opening batsman, more than handy wicketkeeper as well. He's making his name in white ball cricket, the Sussex Sharks. Adelaide Strikers, Barbados Trident, Islamabad United. And I met Phil out in Abu Dhabi. It's about a couple of years ago, I think. Time kind of loses its meaning at the moment, doesn't it? But he was playing for the Lahore Quellanders out there. They won the Emirates T20 talk a little bit about that and his experiences of playing in franchise cricket around the globe. We have a little chat about COVID-19 and the current plight of the English domestic season. We talk about his work with Jason Gillespie. We talk about his hopes for England selection and we start off coming off the back of a chat about Jack Russell. He was a guest on a recent Cricket Badger podcast, one that I think has entertained quite a few of you. I've got some really good feedback on the chat with Jack Russell. And during that chat, we talk about the little video montage that Gloucestershire put out of Jack doing some ridiculous things behind the sticks. And we enter this chat with uh, Phil talking about Jack Russell. I did the interview with Phil Salt the same day that I spoke to Jack earlier on in the morning. There is a little part of this podcast where Phil struggles to remember a, a basketball player during a bit of a talk about Brian Lara. He never got a chance during our conversation to recall the name. Shortly after we finished chatting, I asked him if he'd remembered it. He did do. And I will tell you at the end of this podcast who that basketball player was. This isn't a 20 questions chat. This is just a chat about cricket. Phil Salt, how he's finding this summer, his hopes for the future and what he's learning about his game by playing T20 cricket around the globe. So stay tuned on this edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast, Sussex opener, Phil Salt. It's that Badger style. I saw a video of, um, of him earlier. It popped up on Twitter. Yeah, um, I mentioned that to him. It's brilliant, isn't it? He's a fantastic keeper. Yeah, that, 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 um, I think it's a one-handed take down the leg side of, of the Yorker. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, Outrageous. He's special, very special. And he's also a massive character as well. I Sometimes doing this and you, you talk to people who are your heroes from, from the fan side of you, a little bit uh, kind of dubious of... of talking to them because you're thinking you can only let me down really but he was fantastic he had yeah. some great stories oh uh, really yeah he's uh, yeah really good but, uh, how, how are you anyway how are you, how are you finding uh, finding the current situation of lockdown and no cricket yeah it's, it's tough it's hard work because everybody's obviously wanting to get cricket back on I think it's it sort of everybody wants to play cricket and get back out there as soon as possible but I think also we've got to be very realistic with it and as sombre as it is people are dying uh, at the end of the day and there's you know there's obviously had a little bit of a dip and Boris has said we're past the worst of it which is an incredible thing to say in my opinion I, I, I'm not really too sure where we stand right now but if we do play it's got to be 
in the right situation and it's gotta be it's gotta be right for everyone to be in. And I think that means fans being there. I don't think playing in the games behind closed doors is gonna be any sort of solution. I've I've spoken a little bit about that on the podcast over the last few weeks and I, I just can't see how you can actually guarantee safety and not take resources away from frontline staff by playing cricket behind closed doors. I know there's going to be a massive drive. Finances are going to be be threatened and people will be desperate to try and get some revenue and some cricket being played. But as you say, it's got to be in the right situation, hasn't it? And I, I just can't see it myself until there's a vaccine or some kind of drug that you know, takes away the, the threat of coronavirus. It, it's, it's a very, very difficult task that the authorities have, isn't it? Yeah, no. To be quite honest, as you say, a vaccine's probably the only the only solution um, right now. I know everybody's saying, "Oh, in a few weeks' time we'll get this, in a few weeks' time we'll get that." Um, but I think that if if we want to see cricket back, or I think sport in general, um, that vaccine will be crucial, as you say. I use the analogy. I mean, there's so many. I could probably list about 250 reasons why behind closed doors is is problematic, but. The, the main one for me is if, you, if you're going to do it, you need to take all of you, you guys and, and Sussex or, or England or whoever's going to be playing behind closed doors into quarantine for probably a couple of weeks before the, the cricket starts. And what, what happens if um, you get smacked on the wrist on, in the first ball of the game and you have to, you know, generally speaking, you go to hospital, have it x-rayed and make sure, even if it's just precautionary. But as soon as you do that, you're breaking quarantine, aren't you? And then there's all all those kind of questions that are raised. Does that player then have to sit out the rest of the tournament, or can he return, or does he have to then re-isolate for two two weeks? And you know, if somebody shows symptoms on day four of a four of a test match, does do both sides have to suddenly go back into isolation? There's there's so many question marks that I've not seen answers to. Yeah, I know. I to be honest, I. I... I just can't. I just can't see it happening. You know, there's and there's plenty more as well. Like as you say, you could think of two hundred and fifty more. There's plenty more situations there um, which would need clearing up, and I just can't see it happening. As optimistic as I'd like to be, and as optimistic as some people are being, I just can't see it happening at all. The, the upshot for cricket, though, is quite it's quite worrying, isn't it? You know, there's, there's a, potentially a summer, possibly even next summer, might be affected yet because social distancing isn't going to go away where revenues are going to be far, far lower than were anticipated. Everybody, all counties budget for ticket sales, memberships, rock concerts, whatever, you know, banqueting suites offer and, and all, all of that. Uh, that's all going to disappear and potentially counties are going to really struggle through this. Yeah, I'm, I'm no expert on that side of the game, but I, that is obviously a very scary thing um, for counties to face, especially the smaller counties. I'm not entirely sure, you know, how they're going about that at the minute. I've heard, um, I've heard there was some sort of a meter. I don't know. It's just true or false, but I quite like it anyway. That apparently, Surrey suggested that uh, the counties go and play in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, I've, which... seen, I've seen that rumoured. Yet, <laughs> I've got no idea whether there's any truth behind that, but I quite enjoyed that one. I, I don't. Um, I don't but... see how. I mean, obviously Abu Dhabi. Everybody, all all of the counties or most of the counties have played out there in pre seasons and and what have you. And I'll talk to you about your time with the whole Qualanders in just a second but the if you play in Abu Dhabi a lot you know those 250 reasons why you can't play behind closed doors are still don't go away do they yeah exactly at the end of the day I know everyone's looking for there's all these sort of lights at the end of the tunnel but I think we are going to need a vaccine and I think I think it's only right to play sort of um when the fans can get back in yeah where, where does that leave you then Phil Salt the cricketer who you know ignoring 
um, COVID, you know, you're in lockdown. You would have been playing cricket at the moment. You'd have uh, already done all the, your preparation for the 2020 season. You were on the starting line, weren't you, as a cricketer? And now you don't know where that starting line's going to be. How easy is that to deal with? Yeah, it, it is difficult because I had, a, I had a full winter again playing abroad and I've come back to the UK and I've never felt in a better place physically with my cricket. You know, I was I was properly raring to go. Um, and then to sort of have this happen, obviously, um, it, it's, it's just, it, it, sometimes I find myself walking down the road, um, you know, in an afternoon thinking, is this really happening? Uh, is, is the world actually currently in the state? You know, you watch the news every night at, um, at five o'clock and it, it's just, it feel, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, it's very hard to get your head around. But no, I'm, I, I was raring to go at the start of the season. I'm sure plenty of us were and, you know, a few weeks in, I was quite frustrated with the sort of situation, you know, a couple of workouts a day, not leaving the house that much. But I think as, as the week's gone on, I think you sort of, um, I think you sort of adjust. I know that I have anyway. You know, I'm getting two or three workouts done a day. I'm watching stuff online. I'm, I've played a bit of guitar, spending a bit of time with a cat. <laughs> I, think you, I think you just sort of adjust. Um, I know that I have anyway. I don't know what your domestic situation is. Are you like me living on your own or...? No, no, I'm with the missus. Okay, um, oh, so you got you got good, some company. Are you, are you getting on yeah, her nerves? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm plenty. Um, which, is, which is quite good that she's still here, actually, because I think a lot of people would have <laughs> packed their bags and gone by now. So I think that's quite a promising sign. She, she was looking forward to a summer of you being at way half of it, wasn't she? Yeah, exactly. I mean, she, she's been working from home, so she's actually not been as... Uh, She's, she's not been as sort of free to do as she pleases as me. There's been a few afternoons where I've just, you know, you just nodded off on the sofa all peacefully and all of a sudden the balcony door's getting slammed because she's got nap envy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's happened a couple of times now. Uh, but apart from that, it's been going all right. There's been a, a few talks about there's going to be a baby boom in about nine months' time because nobody's got anything else to do apart from the, <laughs> the, the obvious. Or the, or the divorce rate's going to go through the roof. As soon as lockdown's uh, ended, everybody's going to separate. Yeah, I imagine both would happen. Yeah, yeah, you could. Yeah, an equal measure. Yeah, you could have you could have both of the situations in the same household, couldn't you? It's, 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 it is a bizarre <laughs> thing. I mean, you're right as well. I mean, looking at the the briefings every day and trying to get your head around the enormity of it all. It's a, it's a little bit like being in, on the set of a feature film, isn't it? And you know, whereas usually it's on a screen, and you can turn it off at the end, and you kind of walk out thinking, right, I'll go to McDonald's now, I'll do whatever. You can't yeah. escape this, can you? No, it really is. Um, as you say, it's inescapable. I'm not sure. Has anything like this ever happened before? And I know, like obviously, years and years and years ago, with I think it might have been smallpox. But I think this is going to be a time in history. Everyone's going to go back and remember. Oh, were you alive for that, Granddad? Yeah, yeah. I, think, you know what I mean, I think about a hundred years ago there was a thing called the Spanish flu, um, which uh, affected a lot of people and was on this on a similar scale. And they had the second wave of the Spanish flu as well, which is obviously a, a potential with COVID too that you know it could come back again. Because we haven't got rid of the virus, yeah. we, we might have locked down and, and just stopped its uh, infection rate to, as you know as, as much as it was. But it's still out there. So if we all suddenly descend on pubs and uh, and social gatherings again, it'll just start again, won't it? So that second wave is possible. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's why it blows my mind that someone like Boris has said uh, said we're past the worst of it now. We passed, it, uh, yeah, no. we're past the worst of the first wave, but we're really just in the first scene yeah. of the film, aren't we? You know, potentially. Exactly. It's, uh, Nobody knows what's going to happen. Yeah, it's, it is a scary thing. Yeah, t- seeing other people. And I mean, I, I live on my own and uh, I, I, I split it with a, a partner last year and moved into a flat. 
and I never thought I would be in this flat 24-7 hours of the day um, because it was going to be a base for, for the rest of my activities. And I'm quite good on my own. I'm, yeah, I'm quite happy with my own company and I've been doing a lot of the podcasting and everything and speaking to the likes of you and you've become my therapy. But the, you know, I miss the going out and actually seeing somebody and talking to somebody face-to-face that isn't a shopkeeper serving me. Yeah, I know it's, it's a strange situation, especially with cricket being such a sort of, social game you know apart from, apart from when you're actually in the middle playing it which a lot of the time you're talking to someone so the rest of the game you're you are talking to people and you know a cricket club is a lot more than just cricket on the pitch it's when you're driving to the ground you know at Sussex it's Sam on the gate having your conversation it's going past the members going past Brenda saying hello to everyone and when you when you take a step back and you look at the bigger picture um, I guess that's what it's all about it's, it's, it's people like that that keep cricket clubs going and I think it's a very 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 uncertain time for that for those guys as, as well as as well as counties i mean you've got the uncertainty for players and coaches and the and, and the office staff and you know a lot of the office staff around the country have been furloughed haven't they in, in until this is this is over but the, the the kind of social entertainment side of cricket i mean cricket ultimately is a sport and it's not as important as a lot of the other things in life no matter how much we build it up in inside our own heads at times but yeah, just that ability to have on the calendar something to look forward to that you're going to be at um, Hove next week watching a, a county championship match or you might be at Headingley or w- wherever you watch your cricket. That's just not there, that escape route of just disappearing off into the sunshine and, and sitting there under a tree and watching a cricket match just isn't there for anybody. Yeah, exactly. It is very sad. How are Sussex coping with it? As, I mean, I know Dizzy's gone back to Australia, hasn't he, to be with his family. But the rest of you, I, I guess WhatsApp groups, there's plenty of pinging and messages landing in left, right and centre. Yeah, everyone's in constant communication, really. You know, everyone's flicking on messages and there's lots of Zoom calls. Three times a week, the boys do a Zoom call to do some workouts with the S&Cs. And then, to be honest, I've never felt more in touch with people than I have now because obviously your your phone's just pinging all day. All sorts of people are just getting in touch. You know, and I think in some ways that that has been a a sort of silver lining. Um, you know, obviously people are a lot more connected now. But no, we, we've basically been in constant touch with the Sussex boys. Because um, when the when the situation broke, I was in Pakistan uh, in the PSL, and obviously a couple of days before I went home, um, it, there was quite a large group of English lads that came home, and the New Zealand boys went home. And there was only a few overseas that, um, that stayed, and we played a game behind closed doors, which had a very eerie sort of feel to it in Karachi, especially when all the games before it had 30,000, 40,000 screaming fans. Um, but I think Sussex were the last team to come back to pre-season. I think it was four or five days before, you know, I think Kemp went home from Cape Town and everyone was sort of returning from around the world. So I think Sussex were in a tricky situation where, because, you know, that sort of kicked off a reaction all over the world, they were sort of stuck out there. So I know that all the Aussie boys um, had to get flights back before before the rest of the lads. I think they were booked to come back on a Saturday. But I think the administration was in a bit of a scramble to get guys like Mitch Clayden and Swifty and those boys um, back on a flight as early as possible to get them back into the country, into the UK, so that if we had any cricket, they could be here. Otherwise, there was a chance they might get turned away. And obviously, Diz, um, he's always so busy year-round coaching that you know he took decisions to go home, which is fair enough. But no, it was a bit of a hairy situation, I think, actually getting all the boys back home. Cricket Badger Podcast is brought to you in association with tvsportsblog.com. Give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Excellent sporting content. It's well worth a look and give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog.
you talk about speaking to people. I mean, like I say, I mean, I've been doing loads of podcasts and speaking to a lot of people. And I've never found it so easy to get cricketers to actually say, yeah, I'll, I'll give you an hour of your time because people are so, yeah, exactly. I haven't got anything else to do at all. But yeah, I, just on a, on the social side of things, there's people that I've, I speak to who I see in working environments or who I just usually just fire a text back to, who, you know, you, you, people are picking up the phone to each other now and having two hour conversations with each other that never used to happen. Yeah, exactly. You can't give the excuse you're too busy anymore, that's for certain. <laughs> Obviously, as a, as a player, getting onto your, your your career and your, your, your playing stuff, your, your T20 is what you are most known for at the moment. And, mm-hmm. you know, your performances in the Blast have been fantastic for Sussex. I saw you out in, in Abu Dhabi, was it two two years ago now when you were playing for Lahore? Yeah, I think it was two years ago. Yeah, and uh, you know, obviously you, you started to get those opportunities to go and play abroad. You just mentioned the PSL as well. How, how have you found all of that? I mean, obviously trying to get you to roll two years into an answer is is, is difficult, but it's quite exciting times, yeah. isn't it, for a cricketer like yourself to be exploring the world and, and getting paid to doing what you really enjoy doing, and that's smacking the cricket ball about. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting for myself because the thing I look forward to now most in going away is when I first went away, you know, when I was on that Calandas trip in Abu Dhabi in that competition, I was thinking, pressure's on, I've got to perform. I've got to justify me being here. I've, I've got to perform. But then as I've sort of gone on and, and played in different competitions, T10, PSL, um, Big Bash, I've sort of I've sort of realised every every time I go away, it's an opportunity for me to grow as a player um, and spend time with big names around dressing room and you know, sort of learn how they've done it and then do it my own way from there. Um, and that's, to be quite honest, what I, what I look forward to most is going into new dressing rooms and learning stuff from guys who have, you know, been around the block a few more times than me. I was covering that uh, Emirates T20 tournament and there were teams from around the world there. And I, I got a chance to have a very quick chat with you on the edge of the outfield. We nodded to each other in the hotel and what have you. But I, what, the one moment I found really quite charming was when Lahore obviously won that tournament and... There was a a free bar, which is always dangerous um, at cricket events. But the, uh, the the final evening, and a lot of the players were there. But obviously, a lot of the the Pakistani players teetotal because of their religion and, and various things. But they still came in, and you were part of that group, and very much part of that group. You all came in in your kind of your kit and dancing around and singing. And I've never seen any uh, an Englishman dancing to sort of Pakistan music and dancing Pakistan way before. And uh, but it was. <laughs> You'd obviously been really included in that. And how was that, though, to kind of go and join a team that, you know, you probably didn't know too many of them. Um, they've all got different cultures and different ways of being. But, you, you know, you've got to try and gel into that sort of setup. Yeah, that was that was a really interesting experience just because of the sort of mishmash of players I had. So when I turned up to the hotel a couple of days before the tournament kicked off, um, the first person I met was Mitch McLennan. Um, and obviously he's done great things the cricketer um, played a lot of games for New Zealand and you know been to a lot of IPLs been very successful in Mumbai Indians and all sorts of other franchises so I was a bit that was my first sort of time I was playing alongside a proper big name um, in the franchise world so it was it was quite cool to meet someone like him but then on the other end of the spectrum the rest of the team was made up of guys that come through their uh, sort of development pathway so um, Samin Rana the owner of Auckland does some really good work um, and he sort of goes out into all the rural areas of Pakistan and puts on trials um, and that's where they, they pulled most of that team from I know there was a couple of guys um, that had played in the PSL team for them there was three or four of them 
But the rest of the guys had never played cricket before with cricket balls or on cricket fields. And that's what I found incredible about the tournament is that, you know, we got some good momentum in the first couple of games and we ended up going on and beating some really, really good teams, um, which I found was top draw. And, and the guys just sort of took me in. It was after... It helped that um, I got got those runs against Yorkshire, for sure. I got that 49 out um, at the end of the first game to chase that total down. That definitely helped because then I was sort of in. I was sort of in with them and they were all over me at the end of the game. But no, they, they were really accepting. Um, really good group of lads. And, you know, that is an experience that I'm always going to look back on and say, yeah, I remember the time I did that and that was that was top draw. I found that to be a really good tournament as well. The fact that you get teams... I mean, it's a little bit, I mean, I was looking to go in the end of 2012 to the Champions League when Yorkshire qualified for that. And that was a really, you know, exciting experience, seeing teams from around the world, picking their wits at each other. But just on a, on a slightly smaller scale, like Emirates T20, it, it did the same thing, didn't it? It got teams from around the world together, just kind of seeing seeing where they stood in terms of world cricket. Yeah, exactly. And that's something that, you know, I was growing up watching that on the TV. And I'd love to see that or take part in that these days. A, a proper a Champions League T20 run at that kind of a year, you know, run in October. I think that would be, and I think everyone would love that. You know, there'd obviously be the big dogs like the, um, the IPL and that sort of thing wouldn't be too keen on it. But I, I would love to see that, to see a break in schedule forever every year for October for a sort of Champions League period. That'd be brilliant. What, what I found quite nice when uh, we went out there with Yorkshire was the... You know, obviously there's some of those players. I mean, Joe Root was part of that uh, squad that was playing in that uh, Champions League, but he's gone on and played a a huge amount of cricket in front of very big crowds. But the likes of, you know, Steve Patterson's and and what have you of this world that never get to actually play for England, for them that was quite a big event because it was on telly, it was in front of big crowds playing against some very big name players. It's quite exciting from that perspective. Yeah, definitely. And um, to be honest, I'm not sure why there weren't more counties out there. I know know obviously that's to probably keep the competition, um, you know, to a certain size or whatever. If they got a few more teams out there, I'm sure it would have done that competition no harm. Um, and, you know, I that the competition was planned to go ahead again, but obviously um, it couldn't because of the T10. Got a real charges to Abu Dhabi, but I'd love to play in something like that again. Yeah, it was good fun. I I really enjoyed that. And it's a chance as well. It's quite a relaxed environment, isn't it? It's not, it's not got quite the intensity of, of some of the other tournaments you get. And therefore... Players in the hotel can mingle and have a chat to each other. For myself as a journalist, you get a chance to actually have a proper interview with people. And you know, from that perspective, it's a, it's a very relaxed kind of environment and people can pick each other's brains a bit. As I said, when I go around different teams now, that's, that's the number one thing I'm looking for. And that opportunity to, to pick people's brains in the hotel and, you know, by the pool or grab a bit of food with someone is brilliant. And ultimately, I think that's what makes cricket very unique, uh, the fact you can do that. I don't think in all sports, you know, you sort of find players doing that or seeking one another out as readily as they do um, in cricket. Give me an example of, of a player that uh, we'll have all heard of that you, you sat down with for a bit and what you might have learned from a conversation with them. And my favourite sort of, you know, that sort of situation with a player would probably be AB um, when we played against him at the Gabba. I'll tell um, just before you give me that answer, he's um, one of my favourite players of all time. I, I ask, a, I do a 20 questions um, feature on this podcast sometimes and 
It's if you could swap lives with any player for a day and be them for a day and experience what it's like to play like them for a day, who would you pick? I'll get you to answer that in a second as well, but mine would be A.B. de Villiers. I mean, he was capable of playing shots that nobody else on the planet could play. I just think incredible player. Yeah, he's different. He's different level, A.B. And uh, yeah, we were at the Gabba playing against him in the Big Bash and we lost. And I said to him at the game, like, do you have two seconds for me? And he said, yeah, of course I do. And he came and he spoke to me about batting for five to ten minutes. Um, and it just turned out that our next game was actually the reverse fixture against them um, in Adelaide. Uh, I think it was two days later. I got 70 not out, um, off not many, and um, he made a bit of a joke as we were shaking hands. But that was definitely one of the most worthwhile chats that I've had, you know, after a game. Um, but I can think of plenty of instances in hotels. Like the last time I grabbed someone and said, can I have five minutes with you was actually just before we flew back because the PSL got cancelled with this uh, COVID-19 situation. That was Chris Lynn because I know he's good mates with Dunkies. I, um, I got older him through Dunkin. I said, can I have five, ten minutes of your time? And I was just talking to him about the differences between um, opening and batting three and, you know, being adaptable in wherever you bat in the order because obviously with my keeping, I'm putting more emphasis on that. Um, you know, I've been working really hard at that recently. Obviously, teams are going to utilise me in different areas. Like when I played for Lahore, um, I was a middle-order batsman. And, you know, from the attention I got from doing well in that competition, when I was drafted by Islamabad United, the first year PSL, they saw me as a middle-order batter who kept. And that was that was really strange for me because I'd only ever opened the bank for Sussex or, or, or batted three. So it's just, I think... What's going to be key for me going on, I think the key for every cricketer is that ability to be adaptable and, you know, whatever role you get given in a side, if you're a cricketer that's able to throw themselves at that that task, um, you know, and do a job with the team, I think more often than not, you're going to be successful. I'll ask you that question then um, that I I mentioned. If If you could live in the skin of another player and actually experience what it was like to have their talent in their life for a day, who who would you choose? Uh, It would have to be Brian Lara. Yeah. Good answer. Yeah, it would have to be Lara. Uh, nobody did it like he did with the backlift, and he's obviously a lefty, and everything looks better left-handed. So it'd have to be Lara. Yeah, I was, I was lucky enough when we when we did that Emirates T Twenty. He was part of the uh, TV coverage, and I got to work with him for a few days, and uh, that that was interesting. Listening to them talking, Wakar Yunis talking to Brian Lara, talking to Mahela Jaya Warden and, and stuff off the record, obviously, but it was uh, fascinating to listen to them talking about their lives in cricket. Yeah, that was a surreal moment for me as well. Um, meeting him in the bar after that game, they'd, they'd watched the game with Mahela, and going in, you know, them boys saying well played was uh, was a very surreal moment for myself. I remember. A few years before I was in Dubai, Sussex sent me away as part of my first contract. They paid, um, they paid me a sum and my accommodation um, for the six months in Brighton because I was in between Sheffield and Brighton at the time. And they also said, we're sending you away to the ICC Academy for two weeks of training. Uh, two, two months, sorry. So two months out there. And in that game, in that time, there was uh, the Masters Champions League was on. And they had Brian Lara and Andrew Simons and all that that lot out there. And we had the opportunity to play a couple of practice games against them. And I remember him, he was telling someone a story. And it was about a game of golf in Miami with, um, I don't know if you can remember the, the little, the, the, he wasn't little, obviously he played in the NBA, but there's a there's a guy that was renowned for shooting three-pointers that played for the Heat in the championship winning side. Right, okay. And he was, t- he was telling someone a story about playing golf with him. Oh, it's going to kill me if I don't get his name. Um, I, think it was, I overheard him telling someone a story about playing a round of golf with him. 
I thought that is the coolest thing I've ever heard. Let me have a look now if I can pull it up online. I had, I had to pinch myself a, a, a little bit while you're watching that. I, I had to pinch myself a little bit sometimes when I was sat next to. I, I found myself in the in the TV at the back end of the TV commentary box, sat between Wako Eunice, Brian Lara, and Mahela Jai Wardner. And I'm thinking, yeah, talk about imposter syndrome. I just don't see myself in this company. And it was just quite fascinating, as I say, to, you know, because you, you are actually sitting next to greatness. That They, they are legends, absolute legends of, of cricket. And uh, to kind of have a drink with them and to talk to them was, was absolute privilege. It really was. Yeah, it, was, it is ridiculous when you find yourself surrounded by those sort of guys. It is. It is ridiculous. Um, I mean, they are just human beings, aren't they, Phil? But they, but they aren't in a way. It's kind of they, they've been elevated in their own minds, probably more than anything, because they are just flesh and blood like everybody else. They have feelings, they have bad days, they have good days, but they are also yeah incredible players. Exactly. I think when you watch someone on TV for so long, I think it's always a bit funny when you sort of meet them in the flesh. That was definitely the case with um with Lara for myself. Yeah, really nice guy as well. He's actually quite quiet, quite a bit shyer than I thought he was going to be. Yeah, he's quite, he's quite reserved. I mean, you, looking at your, your quick info page here, it lists Adelaide Strikers, Barbados Tridents, Islamabad United, who you already mentioned. You've obviously had your association with Lahore as well, and you know, obviously Sussex too. You've got around a little bit now. I mean, did, has that come quite quickly? Did you, after playing for Lahore, did your phone start ringing in, obviously Islamabad first, but then you've, you've obviously got other gigs too? It's a funny one in cricket because it's sort of everyone knows everyone and it's sort of um, it's sort of done that way, if you know what I mean. So when I played for Lahore and um, I did well there, I had the opportunity to go to Australia with them for uh, for two weeks to Sydney, which was not the most glamorous experience I've ever done, but I, I, I jumped at the opportunity. I think that was like, when there. we when we were talking out in um, in Abu Dhabi. I think that was our last conversation. You said, "I think I've got the opportunity to go out to, to Sydney with with this team," and they, they were, they've obviously seen enough of me to want to uh, include me in that. Yeah, that was I, I was I was chuffed with that. I was chuffed with the opportunity with that. So I went out there, but it was economy flight both ways, and then there was literally no time to, uh, for getting over the jet lag. <laughs> I remember I landed. I think I landed on the Monday. And then on the Tuesday night, we were playing our first competitive game. Um, and I remember waiting to bat, waiting to go into bat, and my eyes were closing. And it, I, I've never been in such a strange place in my life because obviously I knew that I had to sort of wake up because I was going to play a game of cricket, you know. And if I perform well in this competition, then, you know, a PSL spot was on the cards. I was literally so tired. I, I didn't really have control of my body. And I was just, I was, I was as sleepy as, as I've ever been, I think, because I'd not slept a wink the night before because of the jet lag. And I remember going out there to thinking, what, what, what am I doing? I was delirious. Going out <laughs> thinking, if I bat well here, I'll have a spot in the PSL. So that was a really weird um, couple of weeks. But how many did you, you get? Say, how many did you get that day? Oh, I think I got runner ball tennis. I remember I got out last ball the over trying to paddle sweep a left arm spinner because the, the ground was massive. So I thought I'll get to 20 or so quickly. And the field was right. I was out of power play. So I thought I'll just hit the gaps and run hard. But, you know, that's not a tactic which uh, most of the Pakistani lads necessarily agree with. <laughs> <laughs> Hitting the pockets and running hard. They're quite excitable, aren't they? Sort of seeing the Lahore Qalandas. It's a couple of tournaments, one that you weren't involved in. But they're quite energetic. They're quite exuberant. They're really, really into it, aren't they? They really love it. Oh, absolutely. They're as passionate as they come. The skill they've got with batting the ball is unbelievable but then I don't know if you remember watching our side field that competition yes I do <laughs> but um, it, was, it was suspect to say the least the, the guys were coming up to us there was, there was a few guys that 
as I said earlier, it was the first time ever playing on a proper ground with proper cricket balls. And they've only ever played with tape balls and cheap cricket balls. And they're saying, what do I need to do to, to you know, to become better, to become a better cricketer, to, to make the PSL squad? And I was just saying, you've got to improve your fielding. And then, and then he said to me, but I can't improve my fielding. Where I am, there is no cricket field. And he showed me a picture on his phone and it was literally just dirt and stones and all the rest of it. And it, it, it's mind-blowing how these guys can have such skill with bat and ball but, and, and not even have the facilities, really. That, that I, came, I came home, actually. I remember sitting on that, on that flight feeling very grateful, um, you know, for all the opportunities and stuff that I've had because these guys have, they want nothing more than to be professional cricketers. But, you know, they don't have every opportunity afforded to them. And, you know, you said they were dancing in the bar like they won the World Cup. And, and that was exactly why to them that was their World Cup. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I do feel very lucky to have been a part of that. Yeah, it was it was it was really charming. It, you know, not I don't mean that in a patronising way at all. It was it was brilliant no. to see the kind of exuberance and the kind of success on their faces. It was really really good to see. When I spoke to Akib Javid, the uh, the coach um, for the Lahore Qalandars out there, he was he we did a couple of little interviews actually about their development program and the fact that they were going out into some of the small villages and some of the areas to unearth talent and the the opener who I whose name escapes me who scored a century in in the first game yeah, was it Sahel Akhtar. absolutely superb it was a terrific innings that he played and he'd given up on cricket he was working in the back office doing some some kind of clerical job and then he heard that, that the Hawkeyes were coming out to do this camp and thought right yeah you know, I'll go along and see what it's about gets picked up next thing you know he's on television scoring a century it's it's, a, it's incredible stories yeah. that they're bringing out and now he's a captain he captained them in the left PSL talk about talent. Yeah, I mean, he, he he was unbelievable that comp. Um, that hundred he got against the Yorkies was was a proper innings. I remember um, all the Yorkie boys still they still talk about um, Boundary Gate with Livey. Remember that? Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was brilliant. Every time I see Livey now, or I'm having a beer with him, or whatever, see him across these comps. If I get more than five minutes to have a chat with him, <laughs> I always ask him about that and just get him going again. Just let him tick him. <laughs> just push his buttons and let him go. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah he's, <laughs> exactly. I mean, how have you found? I mean, obviously that with Lahore, it was their development side. They won that tournament, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't an A-list tournament. You've obviously played in some very big tournaments since then: Adelaide Strikers, Barbados Tridents, Islamabad United. How, how have you found that? And I mean, you're 23 years old, so you've, you've kind of crammed quite a lot into your career so far. But I guess always learning and picking up tips from the various tournaments you go to. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the key thing for me. There's no good um, going to all these competitions if I'm not getting better. I think that, you know, the game is constantly moving forwards. And if I'm going to have a successful career in the game, I'm talking, you know, sort of 10, 15 years, maybe even more if I'm lucky. Um, I've got to find ways to keep reinventing myself because that's, that's the nature of cricket. You know, you do well, someone figures something out and then you have a little down period where, you know, people have got a tactic against you that works and then you come over that and then there's the next thing and then you back down again and then you're the next thing. Um, I was having this chat with Colin Ingram a few weeks ago and, you know, you, as, if you're going to be successful in this game and, and be a top, top player, you've got to keep finding ways to reinvent yourself, you know, and keep getting better and better. I had a chat with him out at that tournament. He's a, he's a really good bloke, isn't he? It's the first time I'd met him, but he you know, he thinks about the game quite nicely. So he's, he's a decent one to pick his brains for, you know, for, for that kind of information. Yeah, definitely. He, he, he's been in every situation as a player. You know, he, um, he arguably 
you know, should have played more international cricket than he did. You know, he's got a hell of a franchise record and he's one of the only like, overseas that you come up against. And, you know, whenever you see his name on the Glamorgan team, you go, oh, God, look him in for 60 or 17, one or two wickets. He just is one of those players. Like, I think he, he gets runs against us every game. I've not, I've not seen him miss out against Sussex. Um, so, you know, he's one of those players that you, you don't like to see in the opposition. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening to the Cricket Badger podcast. The listeners are going up every single week through COVID-19. Hopefully, we're giving you a little bit of entertainment to take you away from the troubles in the world. Thank you very much for listening. Loads of great guests planned for the next few weeks as well. So stay tuned to Cricket Badger podcast. Like, subscribe. Thank you so much for your support of the Cricket Badger podcast. Let's talk about red ball versus white ball. Two very distinct, different kind of forms of cricket these days. In, in many ways, it's almost like a different sport, isn't it? Mm. T- T20, the shots you play in that, you'd never even think about bringing out in a, in a four-day county championship game. If I was to offer you a test debut as opposed to a, a white ball debut, which one would you take? You'd have to say test cricket. Obviously, as a player, that sort of is the pinnacle. That That's sort of what you've always been striving for since you were a kid. Um, I do think that T20 is growing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And obviously, the numbers speak for itself. You know, Test cricket. Um, actually, you know, outside outside of India and England during the Ashes, you know, you have to say that 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 is a question which cricket is you know currently fighting out. What do people prefer? To, you know, Test or the shorter form? And I think everybody that plays the game and everybody that's followed the game closely um, will always say Test cricket. But I think for that sort of new new generation you know that's coming in or even new fans that, that go along and watch the cricket I think they'll say 2020 nine times out of ten like you know if you trust my missus what does she prefer four day game or T20 like it's not even a question in her eyes and, and I think a lot of people would sort of be in that boat um, well, sure, surely the way the, that the game's growing surely at the moment you prefer a four day game because it means you're out of the house for nearly a week wouldn't it <laughs> yeah well exactly right now she'd take probably a 10 day game <laughs> As would I, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, it would, it would probably be fair to say, though, Phil, that you, you're closer to an England call-up in the T20s than you you would be in for a Test match at the moment. That's that's where yeah. you've kind of got your stock and your 150, 156, 158 strike rate and uh, and a decent average in the T20 game. I mean, looking ahead, if if we hadn't had COVID, the World T20 coming up in October, you'd have been certainly in the reckoning for that, certainly in discussions for that. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, Obviously, I was in the squad against Pakistan, um, and then I think it was just before the New Zealand tour. I got a ring five or ten minutes before the squad was going to go out, and it was James Taylor, and he was just saying, "Look, mate, you were really close this time, but you know, um, you've just missed out. Keep working hard, sort of thing." And it was nice to hear that, but it also burnt my ass um, that I wasn't picked in the squad. But you know, sort of training wise, that sort of motivates me now. You know, I just want to keep getting better and better, and. Next time he he picks up the phone to me, I want it to be that call that I'm in, you know, and they've been following what I've doing, what I've been doing, and they like what they see, you know. That's certainly where I'm closest to the England side right now, T20, and obviously that's where my focus is. And I guess that that's the new stepping stone, isn't it, to get increased recognition? If you can get into the T20, make a name for yourself, embed yourself in that side, and put in some good performances, then you you put your hand up for other kind of. Yeah, for that test match, and if you can get a few runs in the county championship, that that 
bolsters, bolsters your case. I, I know Dizzy, your coach at Sussex, from his time at Yorkshire. And I've heard him say, you can only control the controllables probably as many times as I've heard stay home, save lives, protect the NHS over the last few weeks. He, 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 <laughs> that's one of his mantras, isn't it? And you, you'll have heard him say that, I'm sure, to you. That you can, or, or you can do, be your best selector is another one of his favourite phrases. He, he score runs yeah. and, and put your name in the frame. Exactly. That, that's all you can do. I remember when he first came down, I went for a beer with him. And the only thing he told me about batting was watch the ball and react. And it's the same to this day. I was saying the other day to someone, I, he's never uh, he's never given me a technical bit of advice. He's never given me anything like that. I've never I've never gone to him with any sort of batting thing, uh, you know, any sort of complicated technical stuff. Every time I talk to Diz about batting, it's watch the ball and react. And it's that simple. Just watch the ball and react. And, and that simplicity, that's, that's what I love about my relationship with Diz. It's very easy sort of, black and white question that because there's every single way you can imagine getting out you can bring that dismissal back to did you watch the ball and react as simple and as weird as that sounds that is a that is just a, a yes or no question and that, that, that's the way I like dealing and I think that's why I work well with Diz it's a simple game really at the end of the day it's quite technical there's lots of in, lots of moving parts and that ball can also move around a bit as well but ultimately it's a batsman standing there and hitting it isn't it yeah, exactly. Um, the the more simple you can make the game, I think the better you'll do. I think that's certainly been been my experience of it so far. I, I've got loads of time for for Dizzy um, as a human being and as a coach. I think he he was brilliant at his time with Yorkshire, and obviously there's the famous story of when Liam Plunkett came down from Durham, and and at the time he was really struggling for first team cricket, and that's why he'd moved. And Dizzy just got him in the nets, and I think the first day Liam had said to him, "I'm." I'm struggling, I, I'm, I've got no rhythm, blah, 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 blah. He just said, threw him the ball and said, run in as hard as you can, bowl it as fast as you can, let's see where we get to. And yeah, within a few weeks, a few months, he was back in the England side. The players that he's done well with coaching-wise are the sort of, cause, because you've got to understand with Disney, he's never going to baby you. He's never going to, you know, mollycoddle you and sort of and take you all the way with him, if you know what I mean. He's always going to give you the tools and then you either you can or you can't. And then, but as long as he sees that you know you're listening to him and, you, and you're taking the information on and you're giving it a red hot crack, you'll never have a day's problem with this. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. D- just going back to this summer, talks about behind closed doors and what have you, and the potential for that or not, as, as we saw it. But the if the World T Twenty stays in autumn and we do get a T Twenty blast, it's a chance to showcase yourself and really put your name back in that frame for England selection if you if you score a few match winning knocks for Sussex then that would be fantastic if we lose the season and the World T20 goes back that would be a really weird situation for you I guess as somebody that could be playing in that to try and adjust your mindset to seeing that at some stage in the future kind of just hanging around in the distance somewhere yeah this summer was always going to be a big summer for me because that's the sort of goal I've set for myself is getting to that World Cup squad you know, the more you think about things like that, the more you can chase them away. Um, and the only way to sort of get yourself into squads, and I know it sounds a bit cliched, is to focus on the present and, and stay in that moment. You know, as Diz would have said, did you watch the ball and react? And I think the only way to, to sort of break into squads like that and have goals like that and get picked in drafts and get into all these franchise comps is to take it one ball at a time. I think that's the only way you get anywhere. And, you know, a few months ago, maybe I was, you know, focusing on the T20 squad a bit too hard and I don't think anything ever productive comes you know when you're thinking that far ahead in the future because a lot can happen that's out of your control. You must have got excited by, by last summer though in watching and win the, the 50 over World Cup 
Owen Morgan lifting oh. that and thinking, oh, the T20 is just around the corner. If, I, if if things go my way, I could have a similar experience to that. Yeah, exactly. Um, England are a hell of a side at the minute, especially the top order batting. I think that's the that's probably the hardest area um, of the squad to get in. I think if the you know World Cup goes ahead as scheduled, I think they'll be they'll be right up there with the teams to win it. Obviously, Australia are probably favourites um, at home, and you can never count the West Indies out. Um, but I think England will be right up there. They've got such a good side in a minute. I mean, obviously, we talked about Test Match Cricket and the importance of that in your mind. 1,677 runs, high score of 148, an average of just under 30. Four centuries to your name in 34 first-class games. Would you agree work in progress in, this ter- in terms of Red Bull Cricket? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've, had a very, I've had a very different career in first-class cricket as I have in the rest of it. You know, I played bits and pieces games um, when um, before Dizzy came to Sussex. I was, you know, sort of in for one game, out for plenty, in again, out for plenty, player dead rubber. It, I was sort of, I wasn't really um, the main feature in Red Bull cricket. I remember getting declared on when I was 37 out on my first half debut against Pakistan, batting well. Ouch. I remember, I remember I properly cracked him then. When I, when I got declared on them because I was just I was playing so well I was looking at first class 50 on debut hopefully more uh, and we got pulled out which nipped me to this day but I've had a very different sort of start in, um, in Red Bull cricket and the only reason I've, I opened the batting sort of these days is because a couple of seasons ago we were on pre-season in Cape Town and nobody was putting their hands up to open the batting and I'd, I didn't have a certain place you know I knew I had a good chance of getting picked in the middle order um, which is where I ended the previous season bang. I got 50 up at Durham in one of my only games of the season. But there was an opportunity up top in Yards, the batting coach at the time. I remember we had dinner at the waterfront in Cape Town and we were on the bus on the way back to the hotel and he said, come here for a second. So I went and sat down next to him. He said, there's an opportunity um, opening the batting. Um, that, you know, we're not sure anyone's like, you know, anyone's mad for him. I just said, yeah. On the spot, I said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll, I'll go up there and do it. Um, and I had Dizzy's full backing. I did understood how hard it would be. And I did struggle for the first bit of my career. Obviously, I'd never opened the batting um, in the longer form before. So, you know, there was a few lessons to be taught. And my average was well down there. My average was, I think it was, I think it was mid, mid to high teens at one point. Um, and I, I remember thinking, I, I, do I have this in the locker? You know, am I... Am I Am I doing myself justice here by opening the bat? And I've never done it before. Maybe this was a bit hasty. Um, and then the next week, I got my first first class hundred against Durham at Arundel, and I sort of never looked back. And since then, my numbers have been been going up and up and up. Dizzy did that at Yorkshire, actually. Will Rhodes is obviously now at Warwickshire, and on the cusp of being their captain if he ever gets onto the onto the pitch again. Adam Lythe was called up for England in the West Indies, never played out there, but he got called up to that squad. So Will Rhodes was just taken from being a, a kind of middle order all-rounder, open the innings, and yeah, obviously he's done very well since then yeah, at Warwickshire, but uh, that was Dizzy that initially put him into that situation. But yeah, how hard is it to... I mean, if, if you think about world cricket and you think about the guys that have cracked Test Match cricket and cracked ODIs and cracked T20, you can probably get them into one hand, can't you? You got the Coley's, the Williamsons, the very, you know, the very, the creme de la creme of the the batting, Rooty, whoever. Um, how hard is it to actually master both red ball and white ball as a batsman? Because it is two different challenges. Yeah, it, it is very different. Um, I think that group of players, they always give themselves a chance. They're, they're obviously very, very good players. Obviously, as you said, there's a handful of them in the whole world. 
But I think they always give themselves a chance and they've always got a very clear idea of the game that's in front of them and how they're going to take the game forward. I think those guys, they've, they've always got that in their head. And I think that's what sets them apart. You know, you don't ever see them go, you know, play rash shots early on, if you know what I mean. They're, they're always top draw um, in the decision making. And that was one of the things um, that I enjoyed when I went with the England squad is that, you know, I, I was sort of around that environment in the middle of a game in a high pressure situation and just watching them go about what they were doing, um, you know, running messages on and off the pitch. It, it gave me sort of a whole new way of looking at international cricket. I remember I had to run a message, I had to run a message on, or it was Morgs out there, and he was having a partnership with someone, and he, and he called me out, and he said, tell the rest of the boys, I think it was Joe Denlian at the time, it says if, it's lefty for lefty and righty for righty, they're keeping right. a left-right-hand combination, you know, for the rest of the game, because there was a short edge at Cardiff, I remember running to the dugout, telling them that message, and then running all the way up to the change room in Cardiff, and telling them that message, and the reaction to the message was elite in the way that I told the dugout and everyone just said yes and, and they were straight on it. You know what I mean? There wasn't, that most dressing rooms, if I'd have said that in any other dressing room, there'd be a little bit of panic or someone would be talking or, you know, someone would crack the shit but not going next. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, or quite a bit of question it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the way that everybody saw it, when I said in the dugout, everyone was like, bang, right, run. And then I took it up to the dressing room and I said the message to Trev and that lot. Everyone was like, yeah, perfect. It was that sort of elite, you know, sort of snap decision making that made me that made me sort of um, view those boys in a different light. And that that um, kind of takes me nicely to the, my final question to you, Phil. A lot of cricket's played in the head, isn't it? I mean, you, what you're talking about there is a, is, is a culture around the side, isn't it? And that mindset of basically having these processes and everybody being on the same same wavelength, really. But in terms of batting, yeah, so much of cricket once you get to your kind of level is played inside the head. You've all got your different talents, but you, there's not a huge amount separating top-quality batsmen. And who makes it is the, is the person that thinks well between his ears, isn't it? And those um, thought processes and that, the challenge mentally of facing a red ball and a white ball, in T20 cricket, your, your mindset is to go out there and try not to get dot balls, try and rotate the strike, try, try and hit the ball over the boundary or through the boundary and, and to keep that strike rate going. The challenge of, a, of an opener in, in, a, in the county championship is absolutely different to that. You're leaving the ball outside of your stump. You're not scoring off balls that you would flick away for runs in, in, in one-day cricket. It's a very different challenge, isn't it? And so how do, you, how do you cope with that mentally? Do you have to almost get yourself on a, on a different mental path playing against the red ball to the white ball? Yeah, um, to be quite honest, not a lot changes um, in my game. You know, obviously I won't be... There's no big booming drives early on over the top, or you know, I won't I won't look to to pull length um, as much as I do in white ball cricket and red ball cricket. But one of my best assets as an opening batter, especially playing for Sussex, you know, especially when we play at home, you know, where it can be quite difficult, is that if I can, you know, be aggressive and take a bowler down, you know, and I can give us a bit of a jump start. I think the team always does well. I think I saw a stat the other day when I get runs in red ball cricket and, and, and white ball as well, actually, for Sussex, you know, we rarely lose. And I, I thought that was very interesting because I'm sort of given that license at the top of the order, sort of, you know, over-aggressive sort of role. You know, and some days it works and some days it doesn't and that's just cricket. But I, I do think it is, it is two very different games that I try not to think of so differently. 
um, if I'm quite honest. I mean, your, your strike rate in first-class cricket is 74, which is pretty, pretty speedy, isn't it? Yeah, it is, but it was, it was higher than that, though, at the start of last season. Um, at the start of last season, it was, it was a lot higher than 74. But on that note, worse in my head, Colin Monroe averages 50 in first-class cricket um, at a strike rate of 99, <laughs> which I find unbelievable. I played it in this PSL, we were comparing numbers and all that sort of a thing. He was saying, oh, yeah, but it is, you know, the wickets are different in New Zealand than they use a Kookaburra ball. I don't care what you say. If you're averaging 50 and striking them at a runner ball in first-class cricket, that is unbelievable. That's, that's unhuman. That's just, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, people just don't really do that. Is. It's crazy stuff. Yeah. What's your missus call, mate? Abby, she's just there, uh, she's just working from home today. Well, hopefully for Abby, you get cricket back in your life soon. Yeah, <laughs> praying for that. I mean, I, I, would, I mean, just to, just to finish off, I'd imagine, I mean, you're obviously quite a, a sensible fella, fairly laid back and, and kind of just kind of taking it as it comes, really, because we all know the significance of what's out there, really, in terms of the virus, but... Do, do, does it change you? Are, you? are you a different person at home because you're frustrated and because you, you want to be playing cricket and you can't? You know, um, I think it's the exact opposite. I think from that point of review, I think I'm a lot more chilled out right now because I know there's sort of no cricket and there's nothing to sort of come home thinking about or there's nothing to be stressing about in your own head, if you know what I mean. Because as, though, as good as you might be at you know, saying, oh, that's cricket and I'll park that for the day. Yeah. It is a very difficult thing to do. Um, and I think, if anything, I'm more chilled out right now. I'm just, I'm, I'm smashing a couple of workouts out a day. I'm eating properly and going on walks and playing with a cat. And apart from that, it's a, it's a pretty simple life. I'm living the life of a cat at the minute, actually. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't, and you can't do anything more than that. And I mean, I've said a couple of times on the podcast, there's almost like a, a, a collective misery and a strength in that collective misery because it's, it's not one person. You're not injured and you're not on your own and all the rest of your teammates are playing and doing stuff. Everybody's in the same yeah. boat, aren't they so you just got to just you know as, as Dizzy says control the controllables yeah exactly control the, I was going to say that before you said that control the controllables but one thing I'm enjoying I've got to say is the things that you've been retweeting on Twitter some of them have been exceptional some of the stuff has given us a, a proper chuckle about Boris and stuff like that <laughs> I, I, I've got two I've got two Twitter feeds mate I've got the at cricket underscore badger which I keep very much to oh, cricket yeah. and I've got the at James underscore butler which is mine and yeah. on that one, I'm far more political because um, basically, yeah, if, I if, if I start doing political tweets on my cricket one, I get loads of abuse saying I don't want to be hearing about politics. This is a cricket tweet. If you feel like you should answer, well, it's my Twitter feed. I'll do what I like. But I, so I tend to leave my own personal political viewpoints to my James Butler one. But yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's a bit more slightly yeah. left 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 wing. No, I love <laughs> it. I love it. I'd, I'd like to be retweeting a couple myself, but I, I'm not sure I can be bothered with the heat that comes with it. Especially <laughs> if you want to see people kick up. I've got plenty of time to be bothered with the heat because there's nothing else to do. So if there is any heat, it just fills up an hour or so. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you for being on the Cricket Badger podcast. It's been a real no. pleasure to talk to you again. Hopefully I see you soon and hopefully you've got a bat in your hand soon and you and we're seeing cricket again. We're probably both fairly realistic on that, but uh, we need cricket back. Yeah. We want it back soon. Exactly. I hope so. Thanks for having me, mate. Thanks very much. It's that Badger style. Thank you very much indeed to Phil Salt for giving me his time on the Cricket Badger podcast today. 23 years old, bags of talent, Got the world at his feet and wish him all the best for the future. And I think you'll agree. Comes across as a, a really nice lad as well, which he indeed is. The name of the basketball player? Ray Allen. 
doesn't mean anything to me. I'm not a massive basketball fan, although I have been watching The Last Dance about the Chicago Bulls, a really well-put-together documentary. If you're looking for something to watch during lockdown and you like your sport, then I recommend that as a bit of a view as well on Netflix. Got some great Cricket Badger podcasts coming up around the corner for you. Keaton Jennings, the England and Lancashire batsman, he comes on talking to the former Australia spinner, Brad Hogg as well. Always an entertaining chat when you talk to Hoggy and also recorded an interview with Samit Patel. And they'll come to you in that order too. So stay tuned to the Cricket Badger podcast. Plenty of great guests, plenty of really good content coming to you. Thank you for supporting it. Thank you for listening. Please give it a like, give it a subscribe and leave a a kindly comment as well if you can on whatever platform you listen to the Cricket Badger podcast on. Stay safe, stay healthy and I'll see you next time on the Cricket Badger podcast. Podcast Network.